0: And I'd like to add my uh, welcome to the Gibbons and Luby contingent here with us this morning. Katie, did you ever think that when Megan and I were in kindergarten together, I'd be singing at her first daughter's baptism? (laughs) I didn't either. It kind of, I almost got a little choked up as I was singing there. So luckily I got through it. But uh, for those of you who are familiar with the church calendar year, the liturgical calendar, you will know that we are still in the season of Easter. And if you didn't know much about the liturgical calendar, uh, it's, A lot like the regular calendar. We have seasons, we have holidays, but it's a little different. Uh, We don't think in terms of spring, summer, fall, winter. No, we think in terms of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and then big stretch of time called ordinary time. I didn't name it. I probably would have come up with something a little punchier if I did. So, Easter, it doesn't end at 11.59 p.m. on Easter Sunday. No, we are still focusing on the resurrection of Christ and what that means for our lives. It is still the season where I can say, He is risen! He is risen indeed! There we go. And so, today, I would like to start where Pastor Nate's Easter sermon left off. Now, if you were here on Easter, you may recall the third point of his sermon, but in case you don't, I'm going to refresh your memory. It was that Jesus' resurrection means the renewal of the world has begun. And the uh, scripture I'm going to put up on the screen there that he highlighted was 1 Corinthians 15:57 to 58 which says, "...He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain." And it is wonderful to know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. But what exactly is the work of the Lord? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? Are we we bankers for the Lord or lawyers for the Lord? Are we janitors or mail carriers for the Lord? I looked it up. There are 12,000 different types of recognized professions with the IRS that you can put on your tax forms. And to simplify it, you can pick from 1,300 different categories to try to narrow it down. There's a lot of different type of work in our society. To what type of work should we, as Paul says, give ourselves fully? Now, fortunately, we don't have to just guess at this. No, Jesus, during his time on earth, was constantly telling his disciples, and by extension, all of us, what this work is and what occupation it should most closely resemble. Look at what Jesus says in Mark ten forty-five. He tells his disciples, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And again, he says in John twelve twenty six, Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And the Apostle Paul, writing in Galatians 5, 13, he said, You, my brothers and sisters, serve one another humbly in love. And Peter, someone who knew, personally, walked with, and talked to Jesus Christ while he was on earth, says in 1 Peter 4.10, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, so it is clear that we are absolutely called to a life of service and the life of a servant. And so today, I want to examine uh, what servanthood looks like by looking at the life of Samuel from the Old Testament. Now Samuel is a fascinating character. We know quite a bit of the details about his early life and we know a lot about his later life, but for the large stretch in the middle we kind of just get a brief overview. He has two books of the Bible, 1st and 2nd Samuel named after him, despite the fact that he dies in 1st Samuel He is the anointer of Israel's first two kings, one of which, King David, establishes the royal line that eventually culminates in the birth of Jesus Christ and the salvation for all mankind. Samuel was the last judge of Israel, one of the first major prophets. He was high priest and kingmaker. So let's dive into Samuel's life and see exactly how this extraordinary man shows us what servanthood means. And the first thing that we can learn from Samuel is that servanthood is lifelong. Now, Dacia already told us today the account of Samuel's call. Samuel, hearing the voice of God in the night and his earnest reply, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's because that's what Pastor Nate prays right before he preaches every single week. Now, we know that at the time of his call, Samuel was pretty young. The Bible calls him the Boy Samuel. And the Jewish historian Josephus says in his histories that Samuel was probably about the age of 12. And this tracks with what we know about Jewish society, because at the age of 13, he would have been viewed as an adult. So by being 12, it would still qualify him as a boy rather than a man. And just in case you think that Samuel's special in this case, this is not the only example of God using the young to serve him. Uh, we're told in Second Kings that Josiah, one of the few good kings that followed King David, came to the throne at the age of eight. And King David himself was anointed by Samuel as a youth, with most estimates saying he was probably between the ages of 10 and 15. So serving the Lord, as looking at these examples we can see, it can start at a pretty young age. And we know that Samuel remained steadfast to God's call throughout his life. Look what we see in 1st Samuel 7:15. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. And the story of the Old Testament, especially 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, is that God rewards those who are faithful to him with leadership and authority, and he removes it from those who are unfaithful. And in a farewell speech that Samuel gives in 1st Samuel 12, he says, "As for me, I am old and gray and my sons are here with you." I have been your leader from my youth until this day. So he served his whole life. And uh, we're not told exactly at what age Samuel died. But let's be generous, and and we're going to give him today's longevity statistics. Right? Let's say that he died around the age of 80. So I want to see some hands here. Uh, Who in this room is between the ages of 12, when Samuel was first called, and 80-ish when he died? Show of hands. All right, that's most of you. Great. So you guys, you have to serve if you follow Samuel's life, right? 12 and 80, you got you to serve. Um, is there anybody in here, another show of hands, who is not in that range? Maybe you're younger than 12 or you're older than 80. Show of hands. Okay, yeah. So we've got a couple people in here. So you guys, well, you're off the hook, right? You don't have to serve because <laughs> Samuel, he, that's not when he was serving. Except that you actually do still need to serve. You see, um. Samuel's mother, Hannah, she uh, was having trouble conceiving a child, and she prayed earnestly to the Lord. And this is what it says uh, in 1 Samuel 1. Samuel's mother prayed, Hannah prayed to God for a son, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And after Samuel died... King Saul did something he was not supposed to do, and he actually summoned up Samuel's spirit to seek advice, which was forbidden. And we are told that the spirit of Samuel rebuked and prophesied that Saul would lose his kingship and his life, which actually happened very shortly afterward. So he was dedicated to God's service before he was conceived, and he continued to teach and prophesy after he died. So another show of hands here. Who is between the ages of not yet conceived and you've already died? (laughs) Show of hands. This should be everybody. Everybody in the world falls into that category. Service is lifelong. Servanthood is a lifelong calling and there is no age where we are not expected to serve the Lord and one another. And the next lesson we can learn from the life of Samuel is that servanthood is is multifaceted. And by that, I mean, you should never just expect that your service will always be one thing. Here's uh, some examples of the way the Bible tells us that Samuel served God and Israel. We're told in 1 Samuel 3.1 that Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli in his youth. And that means that he assisted with the priestly duties. He assisted with the sacrifices. He kept the lamps in the tabernacle burning. He he was doing sort of the, the required busy work of the priesthood. When Eli died, Samuel is named as judge or the ruler to govern Israel. And we're told that he traveled around the country holding court and administering justice every single year. He removed the idols and the altars to other gods and he called the people back to the Lord. He went into battle against the Philistines and we're told that he actually regained territory that had been lost under other less faithful leaders. You know, much of the focus on 1 Samuel is about King Saul and King David. That focus is probably about 90% is about Saul and David. And we have a huge time jump from Samuel starting as a judge and his old age. And I believe, and this is just my theory, the reason we have this big time jump is because it would not make for interesting reading. Samuel was just too good at his job. I mean, Samuel later tells the people not what he has done for them, but what he hasn't done. He says, "'Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hands have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes?' Samuel's leadership was literally by the book with a capital B. There was no drama, no rebellions during his leadership, no horrible sins that crept up in his life. It was just year after year of faithful service to God and Israel. And I believe that might be the reason that we don't know all the details about his rulership the same way we do about King David. He did his job well. But as he aged, the people said, we want a king. We want a king to rule over us. And time after time, Samuel tried to convince them, no, 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 you don't need a king. God is your true king. No human being is going to live up to the burden of kingship. But the people insisted. And it is uh, actually interesting to note that God himself reassured Samuel that Samuel's leadership wasn't the problem. God says to Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, But they have rejected me as their king. So God gives Samuel permission to anoint a king. And Samuel finds the chosen man, Saul. After anointing Saul, Samuel, he gives up his leadership. No longer judge of Israel. That's Saul's job now. But he remains as high priest for Israel. It is still his responsibility to offer sacrifices and prayers of intercession. He admonishes King Saul on numerous occasions, teaching him... And in what may be the best summary of the servant life, he tells King Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And we're even told in 1 Samuel 19 that when he's retired, he's gone home, he is done from public life, that he's still leading a group of young prophets. Saul was out to kill David, and uh, David hid amongst Samuel and his people. And uh, Saul sends men after David to try to track him down. And this is what the Bible tells us. The the men who he sent after David, they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader. See, whenever one part of Samuel's service ended, he found new ways to serve God. So let's shrink Israel down to Faith Covenant Church in the modern time. This would be sort of like Samuel grew up in this church. He started out helping out the ushers, pass out bulletins, maybe doing the offering plates, laying out the Bibles and hymnals, making sure the service is all set. Grows up, becomes a member, and eventually they vote him in to be church chair. He's church chair, and during his time he spearheads all sorts of projects that revitalizes Faith Covenant Church, draws people in, and Faith Covenant Church becomes known for showing God's love to the world and to the neighborhood right around here. His term is up, and he says, you know, I'm not done serving yet. So he joins the deacons, and he makes it his job to visit people in the hospitals, to pray for the members of our congregation. And he remains, as uh, throughout the course of the rest of his life, as a small group leader and teaching Sunday school. And he probably sang in the choir. <laughs> See, what Samuel shows us is that we must always find new na- ways to serve that's what servanthood looks like you don't rest on your past achievements you always push forward as Paul would later say you run the race Samuel never jogged Samuel sprinted and so we can see through Samuel's life that servanthood is multifaceted and the last thing that we can learn from Samuel and why servanthood is so important is that servanthood leaves a legacy It would be very easy to forget Samuel amongst the throng of Old Testament heroes. When looking at Moses and Joshua, King David and King Solomon, it's easy to forget that Samuel was a leader. And when looking at the great prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, Elijah and Elisha, it would be really easy to forget that he was a prophet. And what high priest would ever compare to Aaron? And yet, we don't leave Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 99. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them from a pillar of cloud. They kept his statutes and the decrees he gave them. See, Samuel was renowned for his prayers and he is listed along with Moses and Aaron as people who spoke with God. In 2 Chronicles 35.18, King Josiah, who I mentioned earlier, he celebrates the Passover. And it says that the Passover has not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. Not since the days of King David, the man after God's own heart. Not since the days of King Solomon, whose wealth could have thrown the most massive Passover feast the world had ever seen. No, since the days of Samuel. And look what the prophet Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 15.1. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. Jeremiah was written about 500 years after Samuel died. And yet he was still known for his righteousness. The people knew they were in trouble if even Samuel wasn't able to intercede on their behalf. And astonishingly, Samuel doesn't just stay confined to the Old Testament. Both Peter and Paul reference Samuel throughout the course of their ministry. And the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, that great passage about the faith of the heroes of old. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. See, Samuel left a legacy of servanthood such that 1,000 years after he died, people didn't even need any more than the mention of his name to call to mind his faithful service. And we all know that servanthood leaves a legacy. And we know that because each person in this room can probably think of a dozen examples of faithful servants of the Lord that they've seen in their lives that have inspired them to serve speaking for myself I think about Barb Frost and Nancy Moriello up at the piano and organ every single week I'm too young to remember it but I'm fairly certain Pam Benda, 30 years ago was my Sunday school teacher (laughs) I'm on the uh, property task force with Brad Peel Brad, when did you guys start attending Faith Covenant? about 50 years ago Brad served as a church chair. He's been on the deacon board. He's served in this church. And I've worked with him on the property task force. And you've got to believe me when I say, with the possible exception of Pastor Nate, Brad Peel's the most forward-thinking person on that committee, wanting to make sure that Faith Covenant Church is ready for the challenges that we're going to face in future generations. And, of course, I think, think of my own parents, who I've seen serve this church in a multitude of ways, as choir director, missions board chair, church chair, trustee chair, flipping pancakes for the tiger breakfast. But I think the most important thing they did was they just showed up week after week after week. See, for me growing up, church was never optional, nor was it ever seen as a burden. It was just, you go to church. Such that now, 30 years later, as an adult, The idea of just skipping church because, gosh, I'm a little tired. Weather's not that great outside. I didn't sleep really well. I can't fathom that because they have shown me that servanthood means showing up week after week after week. And so, through the life of Samuel, we can see what a life of service, the work of God's kingdom, looks like. We can see that it is lifelong that it is multifaceted, and that it will leave a legacy. Church, my question for you is simple. Have you committed yourself to the life of servanthood? Have you decided this will be your full-time occupation? You know, maybe you're in middle school or high school, even college, and you're thinking, I'm really busy with schoolwork. I don't have time to serve. You know, I'll do that when I'm older. Well, the life of Samuel says you can serve right now. Maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum, and you're thinking, I'm in my glory years. I've worked. I've served. I'm ready to take a break. I'm ready to retire. I have to say to you that God still has a need for you to serve. There is still work for you to do. Maybe you're at a phase in life where you're thinking, I'd love to serve, but you know I've got a lot of young kids. I'll wait till they grow up before I can jump in. Or on the other hand, you're thinking... Now, I served when I had my kids, but now my kids are all grown up, and they don't need me anymore to run these programs. The life of Samuel says there is no age, no phase of life where you can't serve. And is your service multifaceted? Are you constantly looking for new ways to serve? If you aren't, why not? What's holding you back? If you don't know how to serve, talk to Pastor Nate, talk to myself, talk to Ray, our outreach director or Marie, our communications leader, or Jean, the uh, choir director. We can find places for you to serve. you just got to come and ask us. And are you worried about serving because you think, I'm just one person. Who's going to notice? You don't need my service. There's enough people doing it. Just remember that servanthood always leaves a legacy. And so when we return to our Easter message and Paul's letter to the Corinthians We can see that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the promise that the servant work of the Lord will not be in vain. Let us serve then, knowing that the power and authority of the resurrected Christ will give us strength as we seek to serve the Lord, seek to serve one another, and seek to serve the world.